Bucks on the shelf for Kevin Durant. How do the Suns get through that on the uh, home stretch of the season? Here to talk about that in NBA with us is uh, senior NBA writer from the Athletic, Sam Amick, who checks in on the Arizona Sports Line. Sam, thanks for making time for us this morning. We appreciate it. How are you? No problem at all. Thanks for having me. Doing well. Yeah, we've spent the last couple days on this show just kind of dealing with the weirdness reaction to what went down. The timing of all of it just seems like maybe the basketball gods are conspiring against the Suns. I mean, what was your reaction to what you saw and and uh, what went down on Wednesday, Sam? Yeah, I mean, incredibly unfortunate. Uh, you know, Suns fans should probably relax on the basketball guys being against them. They have Kevin Durant under contract for three more years. So, right. you know, nobody's, nobody's feeling too bad for him. Um, I feel bad for Kevin, you know, basketball wise, he's just been through it this season, uh, last couple of seasons. And, you know, I'm sure he was excited to play in front of the home fans for the first time, you know, somewhat good news as far as the two to three week time window and the idea that, that, you know, that maybe it's not longer, like people seem to have feared, uh, early on in, in kind of the uh, assessment of it. And I think, honestly, beyond the Suns, it is part of a, a broader playoff picture that is going to be so interesting to watch from the standpoint of there's just a lot of teams with, uh, you know, guys, star players out. Nice. I actually, I wrote a whole piece about it that's going to come out in a little bit here this morning about all of these plug-and-play stars who could be game changers if they are healthy at the right time. You know, whether it's New Orleans with Zion Williamson, you know, um, guys like that. Like, you know, KD can come back and, you know, do what he does. And the Suns, I do think, you know, are, are more than capable of having a deep run and who knows what happens from there. When you take a look, at, and I'm curious what you uh, what what you know or what you think about a guy like Zion. It, it, it and when you look at the West, how, how do you begin to handicap what it might look like come April 9th? Yeah, I mean it's funny because if you look Dan at at like last night for example, the Warriors, you know, kind of get uh, you know just run over by the Grizzlies with no John Moran, no Stephen Adams, no Brandon Clark. And, and it's like, all right, yet again, we see the defending champs not looking capable of defending the title. Um, you know, Memphis is another one. We don't know how long Ja's going to be out with his situation. But, you know, if and when he comes back, then they could be on their way again as well. So I'm not sleeping on Memphis. I'm not sleeping on Phoenix. Uh, I mean, New Orleans is probably at the bottom of that list. Zion's great, but everything that he's been through physically, I just have a hard time seeing that happen. But the Clippers, you know, even though they haven't played well, Lately, um, you know, Kawhi Leonard has quietly played incredible basketball for a couple of months now. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out. I don't have the whole list in front of me here, but it's it deep, you know. And then, of course, we're guilty of disrespecting Denver all along the oh, way. Yeah. They've been dominant and and just been doing their thing, and also been very healthy. And in my neck of the woods, still kind of crazy to say it, but you know, the Kings sitting here in the second seed, not something we saw coming. So <laughs> a ton of parody and, uh, and I think potentially a lot of fun. Sam Amick from The Athletic uh, joins us here on the Arizona Sports Line. In terms of the Suns, and, and Dan and I had this conversation earlier, uh, one of the things that stood out from the three-game sample we got from Kevin Durant with this team is how easy everything looked. So he's gone for three weeks. The ease gets thrown out the window. doesn't mean they can't still prosper in this time, but one of the things that it does is it puts pressure on others to produce. And Devin Booker's playing at a really high level, maybe the highest level he's ever played at, which is saying something. What do you, what do you seeing from Devin Booker right now for this stretch run, Sam? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. You look at the shot distribution 
And one thing I would not have seen coming was that, you know, you would maybe falsely assume that Kevin will come to town and want to show everybody in Phoenix who he is. And, you know, and, and that isn't just scoring is what we get reminded of is that he has been opening things up for Devin in the kind of way that's pretty terrifying if you're everybody else <laughs> in the West. Yeah. Um, you know, Devin is taking, I forget the number, but <clears throat> significantly more shots than Kevin shooting at an incredible clip. You know, Kevin himself shooting around 60 percent during those three games. I mean, the offense just comes way too easy. And it also makes me think of that uh, kind of infamous clip of Devin in the off season complaining about getting double teamed. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> that whole idea. And it's just like, well, bro, you don't have to worry about that anymore. No. Right. It, yeah. You know, when you share a floor with this guy, you're, you're going to be going mono and mono. And, and that's where, you know, I think everybody has to remember that Devin, when they were healthy, when it was early and things were going well, you know, he was in that like six or seven, eight player MVP conversation, you know, on his own, he was incredible. Um, so that's where, you know, I, I do think for sure that, that uh, we should not forget about them as far as title contention. Now you're right about Devin Booker. It's a small sample size, but in the three games with Kevin Durant, he was averaging 25 shots a game, which is five more than pre-Kevin Durant per game, (laughs) which is pretty terrifying. You're right about that. Um, It's interesting when you take a look. People have made the analogy. When you look at the NCAA tournament, um, very often the teams that get bid are the team maybe with with the freshman star without a lot of experience and the teams that don't have a lot of rep, they struggle against the teams with the five-year seniors, the ones with all the chemistry and all the time spent together. Is that applicable in the NBA? Can you plug in a guy like Kevin Durant with three games under your belt and expect to be good enough and in rhythm enough and together enough to get through a postseason gauntlet? Normally, no. I mean, if you were facing, again, guys like the the Warriors of old, um, you know, teams like that, even if you look at a team like the Clippers, if they hadn't had, you know, all of the ups and downs from a health standpoint and the load management and, and the up, you know, the ins and outs as far as their lineups and rosters, and, you know, they could have had the kind of continuity in a situation like that that would lead you to say, no, nah, they can't, you know, the Suns can't keep up with teams like that. But I'm not seeing that team. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just not. Yeah. And, and Denver is that team. And I will keep going back to that. Denver, you know, has been fantastic. Um, but for me, you know, it's like, okay, um, Jamal Murray, to his credit, comes back from the ACL injury, you know, and has gotten better and better and better and closer to who he is at his peak. And that's fantastic, and it works really well for Denver. But if you're telling me in a playoff series as far as who's who's scaring you, like no matter how long he was out, like just in that moment – you know, then you're you're comparing the the Devin Booker's to the Jamal Murray's. Okay, I'm taking Devin. You know, um, you know the Michael Porter Juniors to the Kevin Durant's. Okay, I'm taking Kevin. Yeah. Um, so you start to see where that lack of continuity and and what the Suns' experience has been. You know might be something they can get over. Bill Simmons brought up something I thought was interesting, and you as a longtime NBA guy, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. He said that the MVP in the NBA now has become a toxic conversation every year, and it's not what it's supposed to be about. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't love it. Um, You know, I I do love it when I have it with, you know, people in the business who I respect and trust um, and, and, like, can have a real adult conversation about it. What I don't... You know, 
typically, honestly, in private. But like, what I don't love is like the the first takeification of it, <laughs> if you will, um, and that idea that you know that I don't know. Like the other day, just elephant in the room is when ESPN and JJ Redick and Kendrick Perkins take on this really delicate conversation about the MVP conversation and, and whether or not there might be some, you know, kind of racial bias within it. I actually think it's like, it's an interesting topic that's worth exploring. And at minimum, as somebody who's pretty self-aware about our industry and how male it is and how white it is, like I'm down to have that conversation. Um, I just don't think you can have it in, in a two and a half minute segment where yeah. the, the power of their platform is such that it's like, man, you just set the tone for this entire conversation because you have the loudest microphone, uh-huh. but you did not successfully accomplish, you know, having the conversation, if that makes sense. Yeah, it um, makes a ton of sense. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, it is interesting. I, in fact, I looked this stuff up the other day to give you guys an idea. It's like, I mean, we, we do still have a very white body in the NBA media. It's 63 out of the 100 voters who voted for MVP last year, you know, were white. Um, and I, I just pulled this up. You know, Jokic got 44 out of the 63 votes. It's almost 70%. You know, among the black voters, 25 out of 100. Uh, um, Jokic got 12. So 48%. So you, you see, like, all right, let's unpack that. You know, what do you think? Why is it? Things of that nature. Like, there's conversations there that don't have to be uh, uncomfortable. They can be, you know, a buddy of mine who's African-American said some of the stuff, is, is it cultural? Is it you know, what you like versus what I like and how we were raised. There's a lot to get into there. Uh, but again, not not in a three-minute segment. First take a vacation. I love, I love uh, it. I love, the, love uh, both it. of the terms. Sam, thanks so much Thank for you, joining brother. us. We appreciate it.